Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It, <laughs> I could care less about Will Muschamp. I'm really happy for our players. I'm happy for a staff that works its ass off. I'm happy for our fan base so they can enjoy the week. And, uh, and, and that's really what it's all about to me, but it's never about me. And welcome into your Monday episode of another Carolina podcast, fresh off of the Gamecocks' 20-17 to victory over Georgia on Saturday. Surprise win, an upset win, a w- whatever you want to call it, uh, a huge win for the Gamecocks, obviously, to get this season back on track. Will Muschamp now has his marquee win that we all talked about prior to the year. Um been a weird sort of uh, roller coaster ride, a, a weird path to three and three. But here the Gamecocks sit at three and three, and really as the the biggest story of the weekend in, in college football. Again, I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. This is another Carolina podcast or Monday episode. As always, brought to you by Terry Bishop Real Estate Group and by Slotsky's Deli. We'll tell you a bit more about both of those later on. But uh, joining me now, as always, Chris Clark. Chris, I, I know going into this game, even you know, the, the biggest Gamecock supporters out there, you know, us obviously covering the team for a number of years now. Nobody was really picking the Gamecocks to win this one, rightfully so. You just don't – you know, this was like a 25, 20, 25 and a half point uh, spread for much of the week. I think it may be – I read it drop down to like 21 right around kickoff. But either way, you just do not see, you know, 20-plus point underdogs win very many college football games, but uh, the Gamecocks find a way in Athens. Overtime, Parker White comes through. Then the defense comes through again. Um, just, uh, I mean, there's a, a million different ways we can take this, but Chris, initial thoughts on South Carolina's big win in Athens on Saturday. Man, there's no shortage of thoughts. There are a lot of things to talk about, a lot of little micro storylines to dissect, but it was huge. I mean, I think you hit on it in terms of just some of the storylines coming into this season was even in the face of this dawning schedule, would South Carolina be able to nab that marquee win? Could they beat one of these, you know, four, five teams on the schedule that they really needed to be, you know, one of Georgia or Clemson or uh, Texas A&M, Florida, Alabama, could they find a way to knock off one of those teams? And, you know, there wasn't a lot of hope in that regard after a, very disappointing early season loss to North Carolina after the way that South Carolina played against Missouri. Team looked to be back on track to a degree against Kentucky, which isn't a very, very good team this year. But they were able to do it against Georgia. And you're right. I mean, we, we didn't pick South Carolina to win. I think there's good, good reason not to. Um, and the way Will Muschamp described it, he said really only people that believe were guys in the locker room and the administration. And look, I mean, he's, he's probably right about that. But it was a tremendous win. I think it was a just a heck of a performance, a gutsy performance by South Carolina. I think the coaching staff put together a great game plan. The players executed. There was adversity. There, there were times when either team could have made one play to win the game um, and, and was not able to make it. 
and South Carolina was just there at the end and made enough plays <laughs> to, to win the game. And, you know, for me, Wes, the South Carolina hit on all the keys that they needed to to score the big upset, right? Normally when you think of big upsets, you can't get out outrushed by a ton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't turn the ball over. You have to create a – a big disparity in turnovers to score an upset like that. And that's what they did. Four turnovers to none, one of them for a score. Um, they narrowed the rushing differential from, I mean, the smallest run differential that George, that there was in this series in the past three years was plus 199 for Georgia. Uh, I think it was 31 on Saturday in favor of Georgia. So Gamecocks played great defense. I mean, great defense. Georgia racked up some yardage, sure. Uh, but that when it counted, they got it done, and they did just enough on offense. And, of course, there's an injury to Ryan Helensky, but they just made just enough plays to get it done. Yeah, let's talk about the defense now, man. I, I mean, this is a defense that I think we all, uh, I know certainly speaking for myself, had high expectations for coming into the season. Thought it was going to be much improved over last year improved defensive line, you know, a situation where you get all these guys back healthy and start to develop some depth in the front seven. We talked about it all off season, and then North Carolina game happens, and we're like, okay, um, not quite what we expected, from certainly from a tackling standpoint. Then you look sort of the what Alabama's, you know, obviously Alabama's great offensively, what they were able to do this defense. Uh, Missouri, to an extent, I uh, – you know, I, I think you, you look at this team and you look at this defense and, you know, you're you're kind of wondering what, what are they as, as this year progresses. And now the last two weeks, obviously Kentucky against them, they play very, very well. and what, But we're also saying, well, Kentucky was very, very bad at the quarterback position. How much of that was what South Carolina was able to force them to do and how much of that was just that, you know, this kid isn't very good and you're wondering what it's going to look like against Georgia. And, and these guys come out and play. Obviously, like you said, they, they gave up some yardage in between the 20s, but um, turned Georgia over. I thought the big thing, Chris, was made Georgia earn everything they got um, as far as South Carolina's defense against Georgia's offense. Um, I remember when Georgia has had these big rushing performances, and you know, I'll, I'll throw the whole yards after catch into that, too. You know, if you're looking at the last three years, um, it hasn't just been the big runs. It's been short passes that have gone for big plays, either mm-hmm. taking bad angles or missed tackles. Um, Georgia just pushing the pile forward, stuff like that. Um, you know, just from the eye test, didn't seem like South Carolina had many missed tackles. And then I, I went and looked the the pro football focus numbers. Georgia's running backs had just three avoided tackles in this game, which – uh, essentially, that's PFF's version of uh, the running back forced a missed tackle from the defense. So, to me, you know, Will Muschamp talked about it leading up to the game. He talked about it on Thursday on his call-in show, tackle. He talked about how Notre Dame forced, um, you know, this Georgia offense from not having explosive plays, forced them to earn everything they got. And then you look, like I said, very few avoided tackles for Georgia. Um, I think their longest run was like 14, 15 yards, something like that from their running backs. Um, 
that the fact that Georgia had to earn everything they got offensively, and then of course the turnovers. Those two things were just absolutely massive, in, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. It was 14 yards. I mean, South Carolina's longest run was 17 yards. Uh, Tavian Feaster, a little draw play there on third down. But, yeah, that, that was the key. I mean, Georgia's running backs have, you know, the offensive line, but especially their running backs the past three seasons have, have just dominated South Carolina just with what they've been able to do. And they just didn't have a lot of room. And I think, Wes, that the key to this transformation has – yes, I do think South Carolina's defensive line is playing very good ball right now. They've played better, you know, the past three weeks than they were at the beginning of the season. But I think this defensive line has played pretty well all year. I think the difference, even going back to the North Carolina game, if you go back and break down some of the long runs that help spring those drives, you know, linebackers misfitting some things. I mean, you get one guy out of position, you're in trouble. And that happened early in the year. The linebackers played a great game against Georgia. I thought, I thought T.J. Brunson played an excellent game, you know, fitting the run, not allowing cutback lanes for DeAndre Swift. I thought Sherrod Green played great, you know, football as well. Ernest Jones was all over the place, had 12 tackles, had three pass breakups, so he was really good in coverage too. Um, I think that's been a significant difference. Yes, the defensive line has continued to improve as the year has gone on, but the linebackers have really stepped up. So playing some more of the three-linebacker stuff has been big. But also, you know, Jones has continued to progress. He's just a sophomore. He played in five games last year. He hasn't even played a full year of football. So he's continuing to get better. And T.J. Brunson, I think, uh, has played better football as well and showed some really good stuff in the box as well. So, that was a huge key, just being able to, to stop their run. I was shocked after the game, Wes, when they talked about the yardage totals, and I was honestly flabbergasted that Georgia had gained as many yards as they had. Um, you know, a lot of those came on. They did have George Pickens had a nice day. They did, you know, they had, what, 173, I think, rushing yards that they got here and there. But South, and they, South Carolina wasn't that great on third down. I mean, the mm-hmm. difference was the turnovers. They made some key stops when they needed to, you know, forced some punts, played field position some. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a really good performance by the defense. And look, a lot of some of the balls that South that uh, Georgia caught were just man coverage, and they were just really good plays. I mean, George Pickens had some really nice catches. He's going to be a special player. Um, and those are the types of things that you live with as a coach. What you can't live with is guys being running down the field wide open or misfitting runs and things like that. And to, to a large extent, I think a lot of that was eliminated in this game, and that's the reason you can feel good about it. Yeah, I think, for one, we're starting to see, you know, last year I, I think the linebackers got a lot of flack, and, you know, right, rightfully so. But we're starting to see what these linebackers can actually do with um, – a defensive line in front of them that that keeps the opponent you know from getting to that second level and and they're actually able to make plays they're actually able to maneuver in space and get to the football get to the line of scrimmage without having somebody in their face or somebody getting hands on them and uh you know to their to their credit they're they're making plays they're getting guys on the ground um you know defensive line play has been improved all year long and i I think you know I, i i tweeted Chris, I think it's time we start to give a, a lot of credit to John Scott Jr. This is a hire that some people questioned. Um, you know, he wasn't really a known commodity, at least 
to South Carolina fans. And, uh, you know, these guys, Javon Kinlaw is playing his best ball right now. Kobe Smith playing his best ball. Rick Sandage in limited time just was throwing guys around and, and making plays in the backfield. Um, you know, Zach Pickens continues to progress as a true freshman. But, you know, I, I think these guys are doing a, a great job up front. Mike Peterson, obviously, with the edge guys, has done a good job, I think, since he got to Columbia. But, you know, we, we talked about the two – or we talked about earlier here how tackling was going to be such a big part of this. Going into the game, tackles for loss and getting Georgia down on the, you know, on the other side of the line of scrimmage um, was the key that Travaris Robinson – when he was on the call-in show, sort of identified. And you look at this game and you say, wow. Um, you know, you look at the college football or CFBstats.com, one sack allowed by Georgia and only 15 tackles for loss allowed by Georgia in the entire season. That's five games leading up to this one. Then you look at South Carolina, three sacks in the game, six tackles for loss in the game, and uh, we're able to, you know, like you said, they're, they're third down, uh, conversions allowed was still not where they needed it to be, but uh, they were able to get Georgia down in the backfield at times. And Chris, I, I thought you almost have to, if you're grading this game, and like you said, Georgia did have a 100 yard rusher, they did put up a decent total in the you know total yardage area, but you almost have to grade this on a curve, if you ask me. Um, get their yardage, they're going to get their rushing yardage. Um, we talked about it in the show last week, man. They averaged, what did I say, 280 yards on the ground in the three-game series. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was, it was something insane. That, I know I looked that up. It almost sounds absurd that that's actually true. I'm questioning myself no, I mean, now. I, but, I, no, but, I mean, they had 326 yards uh, in one game and uh, the high, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, high 200s in other one. 271 one year, I remember. Yeah, so, I mean. Yes, yeah, so – so, you know, you look at this, yes, Georgia rushed for 173 yards in this game, but they they also had to run the football 43 times to hit that number. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you if you told me Georgia's going to average four yards a carry, now granted that's just the basic numbers. I, I haven't taken out the sack yardage for Fromm there, but, um, but still, and, and Fromm had a, at least one or two positive runs where he got upfield. But, um, dude, if you told me that they were going to allow that average to this Georgia team, a team that prides itself on running the football, that really bases its offense on running the football, um, you, you take that, man. And, and the, the funny thing is, when I, when I talk about grading it, you know, on a curve, South Carolina, 3.9 yards per carry. Again, that's taking out, um, you know, the other aspects of it. But – that's not a great number. Not, obviously, it's a little bit lower than Georgia's. But coming into this game, you're talking about a Georgia team that only allowed 60 yards a game on the ground. So, to me, we, it wasn't that South Carolina had to come in this game and dominate and run for 200 yards and run for six yards a carry, et cetera, et cetera. The thing was just get, get some semblance of a running game so that you're not completely, entirely unbalanced and – they were able to do both of those things. Exactly. I think that was the biggest key, Wes. I don't think anybody said, okay, South Carolina is going to come in and rush for 200 yards in this game. That's unrealistic against this defense. It was also unrealistic to say, okay, South Carolina is going to score 30 points in this game. Also not realistic. I mean, could it happen? Sure. Uh, but not something that I don't think anyone would expect to happen. The key for them was to 
you know, to be able to run it more effectively than they had in this series, number one, uh, because they've been too one-dimensional. Um, one, one reason, you know, like you look at last year's game, they got behind so much it became more of a throw game. You know, so you're, you're not even running the ball as much. You don't have a chance to accumulate that yardage. So that's a problem. But number two, they weren't as effective in even running it. So they had to, A, you know, be able to run it more effectively to move the chains, control the clock, and erase that differential. And the second part of erasing that differential or just narrowing that gap is they had to be able to stop Georgia more on the ground. And, you know, that was an absolute key for them. And it was something that they were able to to do in the game. I mean, look, look the run game differential the past few years, here's what it was. Last season, Georgia rushed for 271 yards South Carolina, 54. The, the 2017, 242 to 43. 2016, 326 for Georgia, 30 for South Carolina. So that is a, that's an astronomical gap in the rushing yardage. And so unless there's just some, you know, unless Georgia just turned it over eight times to none in those ball games, South Carolina just didn't have much of a chance, you know. So – what South Carolina was able to do in this game is they were able to narrow that gap. They were able to run the ball pretty effectively overall, make just enough plays, um, and then they were able to to win the turnover battle. You know, they came into the game minus four, right? And then mm-hmm. and then now, you know, Georgia was minus four in the game. So that, to me, was the, the two key things. But the, the run game on both sides was the key to it all to me. Yeah, all right, let's let's talk about a couple of standout performers. Obviously, you look at Izzy McQuamu, uh, the biggest game of his young career, and we all talk about J.C. Horn and how good J.C. Horn is, and he's uh, you know a future first-round pick, and McQuamu uh, sort of has, I would say, lived in the shadow of, of J.C. Horn at this point, but uh, big stage for him. He's already locked up a, I think it's the Walker Camp, um, defensive player, national defensive player of the week award, announced on Sunday, uh, right before we recorded this here on Monday. He gets the uh, SEC Defensive Player of the Week honors. Uh, Javon Kinlaw gets SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week honors. Well-deserved there as well. Um, how about Izzy, man? We, we talk about, first of all, um, really good kid, um, you know, going back to just interviewing him during the recruiting process. This is a guy where South Carolina benefited a bit from, the situation in Flor- at Florida State where those guys are struggling. He's at one time an FSU commitment. South Carolina hangs around, um, ends up, you know, he, he doesn't immediately flip to South Carolina, but he decommits from Florida State, ends up signing with the Gamecocks, um, really is, has become a leader, I think, on this team, has always, as soon as he became a part of the program, this is a kid that's always sort of pushing, I feel like, the Gamecock brand. He's a big part of the culture over there I think is a a good recruiter when other kids are on campus as far as having that personality and um, he gets his first really just national stage recognition on Saturday the three interceptions and and dude these were not all you know these were not easy plays he he makes a beautiful break on the ball and and then gets upfield with the pick six late in the first half shows off his length um, reaching out diving holding on to a ball and then another one where he reaches up with one hand and just sort of uh, palms the ball and it sticks to him. Um, is, you know, we, we always talk about Izzy Mukwamu's length. Well, we saw in this game 
just how valuable that length can be um, when there's a loose ball around this kid and, and he goes and gets it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, none of those plays very easy. I mean, just the awareness, being in position. Put if you don't if you don't have good coverage on those plays, you don't make those plays. You know, the the one where I mean, Ken Law helps make that play on the first one on the pick six, but he comes flying in from his position and coverage there, um, and is able to you know have the awareness go catch the ball, you know, running full speed towards it, catch the ball. Really, if you go back and look at it closely, wrestles it sort of wrestles it away from the Georgia guy. I think he got a hand on it too wrestles it away and, and goes and runs it in. So huge momentum shift and seven points that were much needed in the game. And then the other two, I mean, one of them goes off the, off the hands, off the shoulder pads of Tyler Simmons, um, but he's, he's there. He's got tight coverage, and so he makes the play. And the other one, I mean, barely scoops it up with those big hands off the ground, uh, barely keeps it up. But that was a tough play too. I mean, that, that's not an easy play to make. So, look, the key is – if you if you are given an opportunity to make a play on the football, then make it, and that's what he did, and that's what good defensive backs do. So uh, you know th- this duo with again, we're in sort of this this mode in in football society where if a guy's not an All American by game five of his career, that he's got to be a bust or he's not really producing. I mean, J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu are guys who yeah they played some last year. But, but they weren't even full-time starters for, for most of the season, right? So, I mean, these are guys that are, that are still growing into the roles. I mean, Zach Pickens, Rick Sandage, Ernest Jones, these are guys that are still relatively inexperienced. So it is possible for players to get better. Um, so with some of the early season struggles of this defense, I think some people started just writing these guys off where they're not as good as expected or whatever. And look, I'm not – I'm not whitewashing some of the struggles that the defense had early in the season. Um, but I, I think it was just a little bit lazy to just say these guys, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but you know, th- these guys can't play or they're not as good as they were billed. We were lied to, you know, simply because the defense had some struggles early in the year. I think they've shown, you know, they went down and they made things tough on Georgia. I mean, yeah, Georgia, Jake Fromm, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, didn't have a great game Saturday, but a really, really good, proven quarterback. He made some throws against man coverage. Some of their guys made some plays, but there's some talent in that Georgia receiver core, and South Carolina was able to lock them up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I said, obviously, uh, Javon Kinlaw getting SEC defense alignment of the week. And just, uh, dude, showing us, I think we all saw – flat flashes of it last year I think we all saw you know I I personally think Javon Kinlaw had a better year last year than he's ever been given credit for to be honest with you I think um, we expect sometimes these splash plays and and that's just not a position defensive tackle where you're going to see a lot of splash plays but Javon Kinlaw living in the backfield um, just makes so many plays for this defense right now that maybe don't even show up on the box score, don't even show up. You know, if, if you're maybe watching another guy get a tackle for loss or a, a play get strung out to the outside, um, several times where he's not even really, quote, in on the play if you're watching the football, that penetration by Javon Kinlaw has been the reason for the South Carolina defense making a play. And, you know, Chris, I, I think we're watching this guy before our very eyes – 
play his way into being a first-round pick because I think prior to the year, um, or if he, you know, even if he, he thought about leaving last year, obviously, but this guy was always going to be drafted based on just his natural physical ability. The guy, the fact that he's this big, this quick, this strong, no body fat, he was going to get drafted anyway. But we're watching this guy play his way into being a top couple of round pick and I you know I, I think we're watching him possibly play his way into being a first round pick depending on the fit you know but I, I think teams are going to look at the Alabama tape then they're going to look at the Georgia tape playing what we all thought was going to be the best offensive line South Carolina's faced all year maybe still is but the things he's been able to do against these prominent SEC programs and prominent SEC offensive linemen um, Javon Kinlaw um, in a matter of months, is going to be a very rich human being. <laughs> he is. It, it's been so crazy to watch his development from, and I wrote about this in a piece on Gamecock Central, came out earlier on Monday. You know, the first time I saw Giovanni was 15 years old. And, you know, he was still, I mean, he was like 6'6", 286 then, but he, he had no, I mean, his, no idea what he was doing on a football field mm-hmm. or just lifting anything. Um, you could just sort of see the potential. And a lot of people thought, and I'll include myself in this for sure, that he was going to be an offensive tackle. His former high school coach, Chuck Reedy at Goose Creek, thought he was an offensive tackle long term. But Javon, and good good for him, you know, wanted to be a defensive lineman, a defensive end. And when Will Muschamp got to South Carolina, it was a huge priority for him to, to get Ken Law on a path where he – out of high school so get him on a path to jones county junior college send him out there um and have him develop so i mean look you you knew the kid was going to be have a chance to be really good based on the measurables the way he moved but the way that he's reshaped his body since he got to south carolina is tremendous um you're right west i mean there was a there was a i would go as far to say there's an expectation he would leave after last year but he made a a brilliant decision for his future to come back this year and to show what he's done he's improved his draft stock by multiple rounds he's getting a lot of first round buzz right now it'd be a shock to me if he continues on this path to be slipped beyond the second but first round is a is a definite possibility but when you get a guy with that body type movement ability power who's now playing with technique and discipline he's hard to stop and I haven't – I've been trying to think. I mean, we really haven't seen a defensive lineman that's been this dominant since Jadavion Clowney. I don't even think it's a stretch to say that. I mean, you know, Melvin Ingram was certainly a guy who was dominant too. Um, you know, Clowney was around until, until tw- what, 2013. But mm-hmm. it, it's been a while since South Carolina's had that guy. And unless I'm missing something – uh, Ken Law, Ken Law has been, you know, as dominant as they come, albeit as an inside guy. Well, and let's go big picture for a second, Chris. I think it's been interesting how much value just uh, the last, I don't know, decade, probably much more than that, honestly, how much value is placed on edge rushers in mm. just football in general. And – now you start to see coaches, and, and we'll include Will Muschamp and Javon. Now you're starting to see coaches who are putting more value 
on interior guys because the spread offense and the fact that the ball gets out so quick, you know, now Georgia, a little bit more of a pro style, true drop back type offense. So, you know, I think the, the edge rushers matter a little bit against, against those guys, but a lot of times now, if you can get that interior pass rush, which we're seeing South Carolina get with Javon, we're seeing them get with some other guys, you know, moving Aaron Sterling inside on third downs and that part becomes so big. You know, I think Javon Kinlaw's value in any era of football, you can always use a guy who's 6'5", 300 pounds and built the way he is and that's developed. But, you know, I think his value maybe rises a bit just based on the current sort of trend in football in general. Oh, yeah. And and he's, you know, he's a guy that would have positional versatility in the NFL, um, you know, because of what he can do. But he, he just – he can do so many things. He can cause so many problems. I mean, we've seen him make an impact on special teams with his, his height, his length, his ability to push the pile on special teams for whether it's extra points or uh, field goals. You know, he's a guy who can maybe go out and get you a block every now and then, uh, which, he's, which he showed at South Carolina. You know, if you want him to eat up a double team, he can do that. He has no problem with it. He likes that, and that will serve him well. If you want him to beat a guy one-on-one in pass rush, you can certainly do that. If you want him to go run out in space and chase a guy to the flat, he's shown he's willing to do that. He's just a really physical player. He's an imposing presence. He's just he's just naturally gifted. But he's put in a lot of work, and, and I give him credit and South Carolina credit for just the way they've developed him um, from – you know, a nutrition standpoint, a weight room standpoint, great canvas to work with. If you get a guy like Javon Kinlaw, um, that that's a great canvas to work with, but it takes buy-in from a lot of folks to be able to turn that canvas into a guy who can be, you know, a multi-million dollar investment for an NFL team. Yeah, and, and obviously Javon deserves so much credit as well. And, you know, with his background and what he's thought through in his life and just a um, – Tremendous attitude, man, a beautiful personality, like just so so much to like about this guy. He's been a pleasure going back to, I mean, shoot, dude, one of my favorite recruiting interviews ever was on National Signing Day um, when Javon joined us from um, from Jones there where he had signed <laughs> and is talking about crickets and um, how he can – and he told us he told us then he was going to lose 30 pounds in two months. Yep. <laughs> and I sort of just shook my head. Um. Well, he was right, and uh, he did it. I think we're yeah, just just like um, just like I guess Will Muschamp has learned. Um, when Javon Kinlaw says something to you, you just got to shake your head and trust him because, um, just like when he says I'm going back in the game against Georgia after playing, how many snaps did you say it ended up being? I think it was 82 of 99 snaps he played. Yeah, 82 of 99. Mm. Um, when Javon Kinlaw says I'm going in, who you know. Who was anyone to tell him no? So uh, it, it's been fun, like you said, to watch this guy progress. Um, all right, so let's go a little bit more into the offense. I guess we've, we've stayed on the defense for long enough. Uh, let, let's start with quarterback. Obviously, Ryan Helensky sounds like the news on the knee is good. Will Muschamp, you know, we're, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Will Muschamp said on Sunday night that it was a knee sprain. They expect him to play on Saturday. Um, they do not practice on Monday. They will know more on Tuesday as far as exactly where he is. But sounds like structurally he is fine, which is obviously great news for Ryan Helensky. 
Um, obviously, great news for the Gamecocks as well. Um, let's talk about the quarterback position. Dude, I, I thought Helensky stood in there, you know, coming off of the, the road game at Missouri and how everything went wrong for the offense in that game and his first experience on the road, just to put that completely behind him. Made some big-time throws, made some third-down throws, made some throws, frankly, where he's just getting drilled. And, uh, you know, he's getting the ball out a split second before he gets hit. I I think not, – not that we didn't already know how talented Ryan Helensky is, but I think we're continuing to learn a lot about this kid. And the things we're learning are very, very positive for his future and for the future of this offense at South Carolina. Yeah, I mean he's just he's just continuing to prove that he's a he's a special player. Um you know, the the way he sees the game and the biggest thing to me Wes is is what you said, the way that he's willing to stand in. We know he's not a super mobile guy, but he's willing to stand in the pocket, see the play through, um take the shot. <laughs> take the shot down the field but also take the shot from defenders. I mean, that's just a huge thing for him. Um he, you're right. He got. I mean, Georgia sent a lot of pressure. It's pretty apparent they wanted to heat him up a little bit, um, and he he got blasted a few times. And he just made some pinpoint throws, um, throws that frankly a lot of guys would be intimidated to uncork. And he was mm-hmm. he was able to do it. Um, you know, the throw, the only touchdown on offense that South Carolina scored in the game, even though it was a big one. Great play design, but Ryan Helensky showed no hesitation. Saw what he wanted and delivered just an extremely accurate ball down the field that allowed Brian Edwards to catch it, run under it, and go score. So he, he showed a lot in that game, a lot of toughness and, and going as long as he could before he took another hit on that knee. Um, but we knew he was a mentally and physically tough guy and talented guy, and really he's just continued to show that. Yeah, he has, and I know you're going to have more on the touchdown play later this week, but – just like you said, man, a beautiful play um, start to finish. The First of all, the call was great, um, an out and up that went sort of against South Carolina's tendency. We've seen Ryan Helensky roll to his left and really proved, I, I thought last week he had two throws rolling to his left, throwing back against his body that were in the intermediate areas. So he showed he can make those throws, and I thought South Carolina sort of, sort of played off of that tendency. And – but then great, as much as there were some blocking issues um, throughout the game, great blocking on that play, um, great execution, no hesitation from Ryan Helensky. And then, you know, sometimes I think coaches have – you get you get everything you're looking for. You get the look you want. You get the call you want. You get – everything else goes perfectly. And then one one guy, you know, makes a mistake – <laughs> and all that sort of game planning and preparation and work goes for nothing because just one guy misses an assignment or something on, on a play like that. And while the, the offensive execution certainly was nowhere close to perfect on Saturday, uh, that was a play where I don't know if you can find a single – you could rewatch that play over and over. You can't find a single thing wrong with that play for South Carolina. And uh, Alinsky, uh got his hips around got his feet under him, delivered a beautiful ball, uh, put the exact correct trajectory on that ball to where Ryan or Brian Edwards can run under it, but also didn't put enough, you know, didn't put too much air that the other defender could get over there and break it up, which there was a second defender coming over to try to help out. So everything about that play was beautiful. And, um, you know, I, this is a game where I, 
I tend to think if Ryan Helensky is able to stay in the game and uh, keep making throws for South Carolina as well as the defense was playing, um, South Carolina was in a position to potentially make this game um, not be anywhere close to um, the final sort of uh, gut-wrenching finish that it ended up being. Obviously, Ryan Helensky goes down. He's hurt. They made, I think, the right call, though, for Ryan Helensky's future to get him out of the game. Then they go to the carry-on joiner, who not only started the year as the third-string quarterback, who not only was a guy that's been playing wide receiver and quarterback in practice, and but also has been limited the last couple of weeks, was limited during the bye week by a hamstring injury, cutting into his practice reps. I think we've got – the stats, to me, Chris, don't tell the story. I think we've got to sort of point out just how well Joyner was able to at least manage the offense. There were times when I was actually saying, um, you know, take, take a deep breath. He's got to just sort of slow everything down. I, I thought Joyner got a little bit pre-snap in a hurry almost. Um, but, but overall – considering what he was thrown into, to just manage the offense, make enough first downs to where the defense isn't right back on the field, even to put South Carolina in a position, you know, to, to attempt the long field goal at the end of regulation, to put them in position to attempt the short field goal, no ball handling issues. Uh, the stats aren't great, but considering everything that was stacked against the carry-on joiner, I thought the kids stepped up with, with 92,000 people cheering against him on Saturday. <laughs> Extremely difficult spot. And, and Wes, I, just watching him run around when he did, I, he wasn't quite himself. I don't Not think. healthy. Not there, he- there's not no healthy. way. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't healthy. Um, saw some of the runs and sort of how he was slowing himself down towards the sidelines a little bit, how he's running. That, that typical explosion wasn't quite there. So not 100%. Um, it was just, I mean, Muschamp called it gutsy. That's about the best way I can describe it. I can't think of a better word. Um, did he come in and start lighting things up? No, but I don't think given the circumstances you expect that. And again, to carry on Joiner, uh, let's remember this. It's not like putting in, okay, we got this fifth year senior on the bench we can put in. No, I mean, this is a guy that, um, does also does not have a ton of experience yet throwing a bunch of passes. He hasn't played in a huge you know, road game environment against a top three team like this before. And so from that standpoint, I thought it was, it was really good. Like you said, manage the game. I mean, that's, that's what they had to do, um, you know, to, to go out and to be able to win the football game. I mean, he, he comes out and, you know, again, they, they don't do a lot. They have to, you know, his drives, they end up having to punt, punt, punt punt you know they miss a field goal miss a field goal and get a field goal and that's sort of what the drive chart is so it wasn't great but fortunately you know they made enough first downs like you said keep the defense off the field a little bit Georgia still ends up running 99 plays but the defense is playing great and I think that played into the hands of South Carolina's coaching staff being able to put a plan out there that managed things a little bit better Joyner did make some nice plays I mean he had he got himself out of trouble South Carolina didn't give up a sack in this game. Uh-huh. Alinsky took some shots. He was getting the ball out early. Joyner was making some good decisions in the pocket about when to get out. He extended some plays with his legs. Uh, I remember one sideline throw he made that was really nice to either Muse or Markway that was in a tight window ball that was nice. So 
there were some things that were positive there, but I think the way that he took care of the ball, the decisions that he made were, were critical to them winning that game. Yeah, and I, and I thought just like you said, the, to me the explosiveness, um, finishing runs that we normally see from him was not quite there. Um, you know, but, but he, like you said, he, he gutted it out, like Muschamp said, gutsy performance. And I think speaks to the recruiting depth that we're starting to see at certain positions. You know, that, that whole thing of building a roster, um, building it to where you have depth at, at every position. South Carolina not quite there yet, but, you know, I can't think of many, uh, I think, chances in the past where if South Carolina had had to go to their third-string quarterback, that they would have been, even with everything against Joyner going into this game, I don't know if they've ever been in a better spot to have had to go to a third-string quarterback and actually feel like he could go out there and, and get the job done for them and, and be able to manage the offense and be able to do some things. You know, third-string quarterback as a four-star guy, you know, competed for Elite 11, was Mr. Football, um, we all know about what the carry on Joyner did in, in high school. And it goes back to something we've talked about really since the year started was this decision by the carry on Joyner not to be, not to go with the grain, not to go with the current trend in college football for quarterbacks, which is once you realize you're not the guy transfer out and find somewhere where you can be the guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, this kid stuck around. He, he had no idea when he did that that South Carolina was going to be in a situation where Jake Bentley goes down, then Ryan Helensky gets beat up. He, he had no way of knowing that, but he trusted the staff, trusted that he was at a place he wanted to be at, trusted his own instinct, and it, it's, it's paying off. And I, I hope he can get back to 100% as well because I see a lot of things to like about Carrion Joyner, not just with his moxie and poise at quarterback, but the kid's got a chance to be a heck of a receiver potentially one day too you know I think once you start to even look next level so I think that's that's been fun just to see him sort of get rewarded and see him be able to help the team considering this entire situation that he was in um, offense certainly going to have to continue to get better man I, I think if we're looking big picture have to eliminate some of the procedural issues um, you know some some negative plays and stuff but considering everything that was hitting this offense uh, you know, third-string quarterback, you have guys going down left and right. Brian Edwards missed a little bit of time. Zarius Hutchinson missed a few plays. I mean, it was it was chaos on the road, number three <laughs> team in the country. Uh, There's a lot to like about how this team just responded to everything. Um, they get the big win, like we talked about. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit big picture before we wrap it up here, Chris. Marquee win is a phrase that had been uttered over and over and over again prior to the start of this season. Um, and we talked about it. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that was wrong because you and I talked about it a ton, that South Carolina needed that marquee win. The thing I remember about the Steve Spurrier era and when it really got rolling was that on, on college game day, you know, on ESPN, on these national shows, most weeks when South Carolina was playing an SEC opponent, the Gamecocks were being talked about because it was one of the biggest games that week in conference because South Carolina was a factor. South Carolina mattered. And the thing that I think South Carolina has needed to get back to is the, the point where South Carolina football is a factor in their division, a factor in this conference, and that they're a team that's getting talked about nationally. And I thought the thing about this 
win that was just different is that I was watching college football all day after South Carolina won, and throughout the day, whether it was a halftime show, whether it was the bottom line, whether it was a cut-in in the middle of a game, South Carolina's win over Georgia was the biggest win of the day or the biggest moment of the day in college football. The fact that South Carolina can sort of re-enter the consciousness of the greater college football landscape, to me, is the biggest thing about this win. It puts you back in the conversation, puts you back in the conversation with big-time recruits. Not to just, you know, make too much of one game, but there's a reason we talked about a marquee win being needed this year. This is the type of thing that gets your fan base back on your side, the type of thing that fires everyone up for a big game this weekend against Florida. Um, frankly, couldn't have come at a better time for Will Muschamp in South Carolina. And um, I'm now curious to see, can they th- – this game's been compared to the Alabama win in 2010, but can South Carolina use this as a springboard? We all know what happened the week after South Carolina beat Alabama. Yeah. Now the question is, can South Carolina um, – use this game as a springboard into the rest of their year. So um, me having said all that, what are your thoughts on just what this game means for the greater conversation, the greater perception of this South Carolina program right now? Well, I, I think what you said is, is the key, Wes. It's what you, what you do with it afterwards. Um, not to diminish the importance of it, the potential importance of it, and, and an accomplishment that it was. It's a tremendous accomplishment, but – I think how it's viewed in the future um, will be dictated by how South Carolina finishes this season. You know, if you go and um, if this is a, let's say South Carolina really just sputters down the stretch and they win four or five games this year, then the storyline will be more, man, really Georgia really blew that game. You mm-hmm. know, that, that was a, that was a horrific loss for them or the storyline and the, and the sort of the narrative created could be South Carolina, um, struggled early in the year for whatever reason or reasons they really turned it around and this was a good football team and more of the type team that we thought it would be coming into the year and they ended up getting some signature wins uh starting with that game so or it could be somewhere in between but i I think what they do with it from here on out will sort of determine that but you're right i mean look if you win it doesn't matter which program you are you could be a traditional blue bud or more of an up-and-comer if you win people are going to talk about you and so you know Everybody wants to know about Alabama and LSU and teams like that, uh, Notre Dame. I mean, people pay it to Texas. People pay attention to those teams. Um, you know, we, we see Clemson talked about a ton now. Were they talked about as much in, say, the Tommy Bowden era? No, they weren't as good. They win a lot now, and so people talk about them. Um, it'll be the same with South Carolina. If they could get to a point where, you know, playing in more of these marquee games and winning more of them than they lose – uh, they'll be talked about more, and that's certainly a positive for the program. So um, I, I think, it, look, it's a huge win no matter what because it's something it's – a, it's a positive result that Will Muschamp and his staff can point to and say this is what we've been building towards, this is what the program's capable of. But they, they do need to follow it up with more consistency. Can they go out and beat Florida this weekend? It's a pretty good, pretty good Florida team. You know, Florida right in there for quite a while, played well, in my opinion, on the road against LSU in a devastatingly tough environment. They ended up losing, but guess what? LSU's pretty doggone good. And so I think this Florida team's good, too. If they could go out and win this one, what you know, what if they go out west and they beat Florida and then 
they can survive on the road against Tennessee, and what if they can go score a win against A&M on the road? Um, then this this game is looked at as much more of a springboard to turning around the season. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you, you look at this Florida team and, and how difficult that, like you said, the winning an LSU, especially when LSU is as good as they are this year, they actually have an offense now. Um, that's a tough matchup for anybody. They were, I think, two touchdown underdogs and went out there and for much of that game played LSU toe-to-toe, it felt like. Um, this Florida team, a bit better than I probably gave them credit for, I think better than a lot of people gave them credit for earlier in the year. And uh, the Gamecocks, it, it was announced on Sunday or released on Sunday about a touchdown underdog to Florida, which is probably about right. I think that's probably about what we expected. But uh, a big key opportunity for South Carolina on Saturday at home. The Gamecocks have played, I think, much better at home this year, just on the greater whole. So uh, another opportunity, another chance for a big marquee win and for this team to or this program to really take a big step forward. Um, what, what do you think, Chris, without – I mean, I don't know if there's particular guys, but what do you think the recruiting implications are of South Carolina beating Georgia? And then, you know, if if we let the fans dream here for a second, if this thing actually becomes a bit of a winning streak and they can beat the Gators on uh, Saturday, I, I I think this at least maybe opens a couple of eyeballs out there. We we know how important I think South Carolina has 18 kids from Georgia on the roster right now. They always talk Atlanta as an in-state territory to this program. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can quantify the recruiting impact of this win, but I think uh, it certainly helps. It does. I, I think it helps solidify things with some of your remaining 2020 targets and just validating where the program could go. You know, if they could beat Florida, if they could go on a run this season and go out and finish things strong. Um, after a disappointing start, a lot of people were concerned about, you know, re- recruiting momentum slowing down with a slow start. But by the same token, if you pick things back up and you finish strong, then that can potentially help you finish strong on the trail. And also, I mean, recruiting starts so early now. This is something that can help with 2021, 2022 guys. Um, that's something you got to keep in mind as well. South Carolina has traditionally done a really good job of getting guys on campus early in the process, whether it's for camp or visits. Um, so it, it can just help you sort of grow your presence early um, if you can if you can notch some of those eye catching wins and be able to lure guys to campus. No doubt, and of course we'll have uh, more on Wednesday with our Wednesday show. We'll talk more big picture about South Carolina's win and what it means. Then is it where does it stand as far as the top you know five biggest wins in South Carolina program history? We'll, of course, talk about Florida. They've, they've got some injuries they're dealing with as well, some game-time decisions for the Gators that we'll maybe know more about later on in the week. Um, before we sort of close it out, Chris, do you want to tell everybody about Terry Bishop Real Estate Group and, of course, a, a major sponsor not just on the podcast but of all of our Gamecock football content there on Gamecock Central? Yeah, Terry Bishop of Bishop Real Estate Group is a sponsor of our football content this season on Gamecock Central, so we appreciate him. Uh, if you're not familiar with Terry, former Gamecock quarterback um, and also a 36-year veteran of the real estate business. So obviously our readers, listeners, subscribers, uh, anyone who needs any real estate advice or if you're looking to buy or sell or invest in real estate, you want to go with a guy that knows what he's doing and a guy who is a Gamecock. And Terry Bishop is both of those things. So uh, Facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. Or 803-665-1442 is where you can catch him. Obviously, I want to thank Slotsky's Deli, the sponsor of our 
slot skis pick them contest each week where we give away a $60 uh, value tailgating package to slot skis daily for free to who can, whoever can pick the game score the closest for that week. Um, and uh, slot skis also uh, provided us some lunch last week as they do most weeks we're able to get over there and, and get some food and uh, have some great sandwiches, have some great dessert from Cinnabon there, which is also right there in the store. So I want to thank Slotsky's for sponsoring our podcast and our contest as well. Uh, Chris, uh, final thoughts, final takeaways from the game? I mean, just, just a huge win. I mean, no matter what happens the rest of the season, it's something that I think Gamecock fans will always remember. It's, it's a huge accomplishment. I think a lot of the storyline, especially nationally, has been, oh, Georgia blew it. You know, and look, did Georgia play their best game? No, but South Carolina had a little bit to do with that. I think that's what people are missing. I think people are sort of being blinded by the fact that South Carolina, you know, they lost a game to, to, to North Carolina that they should not have lost, okay? North Carolina is better than probably anybody thought coming in, into the season. Not a great team by any means, but a team that's capable. You know, they took Clemson to the brink. Uh, you know, they beat Miami, which is not a great team, but they're serviceable. Not a game South Carolina should have lost, to be sure. But they do that. They look bad against Missouri because they did next to nothing on offense in the first half. They had 14 points they gifted to the defense. So didn't play well there. And I think that's been the storyline as well. Georgia blew it. But South Carolina played well in that game too. And um, I think they earned some things. But, the, the again, I'll go back to this point. How that win is is viewed in the future, whether it's later this season or in the long term, will be dictated by, you know, how do they finish this year. So I think it's a confidence booster, and I think it's something that if the Gamecocks can go execute and beat Florida this weekend, we'll look at as sort of a springboard, a jumping-off point for them to go finish the year strong. Absolutely, and want to invite everybody to check out all of our coverage of the win and, uh, you know, analysis, stuff like that. And then, of course, previewing the Florida game on Gamecock Central. Check it out um, with uh, the code GCPOD. You can get 30 days free to GamecockCentral.com and really check out all of our content absolutely free with no strings attached. And if you are not a member, then give us a shot. If you are, then we appreciate you subscribing, reading, and appreciate you listening. want to remind everyone to subscribe for free on Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, we should be on there under uh, Gamecock Central Podcasts or Gamecock Central Radio. For Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.